You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. First Kings chapter 19 this evening. And we're going to start reading in verse number 1, and for the length of the passage, you can remain seated there as we read. 1 Kings 19, and verse number 1. I want to thank Pastor for, again, the opportunity to preach and uh, never take these times lightly. And uh, I believe that's what God has called me to do, to be a preacher and uh, to assist our pastor. And uh, I love every minute of it. I'm thankful that God has put me into the ministry and... Uh, I just uh, pray that God would even use me tonight, someone who is not eloquent, someone who uh, can flub up sometimes, but yet God still chooses to use those. Even uh, he chooses to specifically look into our weaknesses and magnify those for his glory. And so I'm looking forward tonight to bringing you the word of God and uh, what I believe that God has given to me this evening, 1 Kings 19 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. We're coming off of chapter 18 where the big contest on Mount Carmel had just taken place. A great victory for the Lord. And Elijah did as uh, God had commanded. He had taken those prophets of Baal and he slew them with the sword. In verse 2, Then Jezebel who was also known as the prophetess of Baal, one of uh, the leaders of uh, the the Baal religion, she responds, she sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. In verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bake, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And He did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. That mount was also the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments. We have here in verse 9, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. In verse 11, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, then he wrapped his face 
and his mantle, and went out, and stood in the entering in of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, the question again, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This evening, I'd like to bring you a message entitled, That Question That God Asked Elijah. The question is, what doest thou here, Elijah? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we open your word this evening and we look inside and uh, we ask for clarity. We ask that you would apply the truth to our hearts so that we can relate uh, to Elijah here and, and we can understand what Elijah went through so that we can then understand what we go through in our life. No doubt, Elijah went through disappointment. This is one of the, the most uh, prominent uh, situations where Elijah was uh, very obviously depressed. He was devastated and uh, he was running for his life. And God, there are times in our life where I feel that, that uh, we as Christians go through disappointments and we go through these uh, phases of our life where we can't see the other side. And God, I pray that as we look at the passage tonight that you would allow our hearts to see and, and to accept the remedy. I pray that we would see your hand through it all. And uh, God, that uh, we would have hearts that are soft and moldable, that we would obey uh, how you speak to us this evening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like to start off by saying whenever God asks a question, there is always a lesson following. As a matter of fact, if, if you were to take all the times that God specifically asked questions in Scripture, you could probably have a pretty good series, a pretty good study looking at all the instances. For example, we have all the way in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, we have God asking Adam a question after Adam and Eve had chosen to sin. Uh, they, they took of the fruit and they're hiding themselves. And in verse number 9, God says unto Adam, where art thou? Now, there's a good study right there. There's a separation. There, there's, a, there's, there's that situation, that fellowship that's broken because of, of our sin. But I love with that, uh, that question, there's the promise that God is still looking for those even though we mess up. He's still seeking and saving that which is lost. That's a good study. Uh, how about Jacob in Genesis 32? He said unto him, what is thy name? And Jacob said, I'm Jacob. Well, there's a good study right there. Moses, Exodus 4.2, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. It's a, that'd be a good lesson on how God can use what we already have in our hands. How about uh, uh, Isaiah? Isaiah 6.8, God asked Isaiah, and he's asking himself and communing with uh, the Trinity there, uh, who shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. God asked Jonah a couple questions in Jonah as Jonah's throwing his own pity party. Uh, we have Ezekiel. God asked Ezekiel in uh, Ezekiel 37, he said, uh, shall these bones or can these bones live? And there's a, a good lesson there how God can bring things back to life and, and it only takes the Lord. Uh, a great series that someone could take and use. But yet tonight we're looking at a question that God asked Elijah in the midst of his disappointment, in the midst of his depression, as he's following uh, his own counsel and not necessarily uh, following the Lord's voice in this instance, God asked Elijah, what doest thou here? You know, how was this question asked? How can we look into this question a little bit further? 
We can use our imagination, I think. We can uh, use our understanding of the character of God and, and kind of figure out how God asked Elijah this question. But when a conversation takes place and questions are asked, there's a couple things that are important when we're trying to decipher not just the words that are said, but how they're said. Uh, may I say first, tone is important. Tone is very important. As a matter of fact, that's why a lot of arguments and, uh, or as Brother Dan would say, discussions happen. Um, a lot of arguments happen uh, through text message. Why? Because uh, a simple question was asked, but someone took the tone the wrong way because they didn't know how they were asking it. And so tone is important. The question, just like God asked Elijah, what are you doing here, essentially, can be asked in an accusing way. What are you doing here? It can be asked in a compassionate way. What are you doing here? It could be asked in an annoyed way. What are you doing here? (laughs) Tone matters. Not only that, but emphasis is important. What was God emphasizing when he asked the question to Elijah, what are you doing here? Did he uh, place an emphasis on what? If we were to say, what are you doing here? That might place an emphasis or a focus on his actions, what he was actually doing in that very moment. If we place the emphasis on the word you, it would focus on where Elijah was, his placement or uh, his out of placement. Elijah, what are you doing here? You're out of place in this situation. It could be if we emphasize here uh, the word here, it would focus on the setting. Elijah, what are you doing here of all places? So emphasis is important. What about this? When it comes to having a conversation, when it comes to asking questions, relationship is important. What kind of relationship do you have with the person you're conversing with? Friends are going to have a different type of conversation, if you will. It's going to have a different feel, maybe compared to family or compared to an employee versus the employer. Or when you're having a conversation with authority, I think that, that, uh, that conversation would take place or have a different kind of feel. But here we have God who is not just uh, the supreme God, but he's also a loving and a compassionate and a holy and a just God. And so as Elijah is being asked this question, I, I often ponder, what was the tone here? What was the emphasis? What was God trying to ask here? What was he trying to accomplish by asking this specific question? I believe that God was asking Elijah this question out of constructive compassion. I believe God loved Elijah, but he also wanted to build him up in the right way. How often do do we as parents uh, try to correct our children and we want them to know that we love them, but we also don't want them to stay where they're at? Right? We, we love them, but we don't want that, them to continue in their disobedience. God could have uh, showed Elijah that he loved him and said, you know what, Elijah, you just stay right here. You're going to be just fine. I'll take care of you. Elijah, Mount Horeb, it's, it's not that bad of a place. Yes, it's a little rocky, but we can make this your forever home. Let's just keep you here. That's not what God did to Elijah. God loved Elijah, but he didn't want him to stay in his current situation. So, as we look at this question tonight, let's go ahead and put ourselves in Elijah's sandals. Let's just figure out what was he feeling at this moment? What, what has he already experienced? Well, when this question was asked, what doest thou here, Elijah? 
Elijah had already experienced a supernatural prompting of God. We find that as Elijah comes bursting onto the scene in chapter 17, where he confronts Ahab with the message from God that because of his disobedience and his wickedness, there shall be no dew or rain until he says so. That was the supernatural prompting of God. We find it again in chapter 18 and verse number 1 as God tells him to show himself again to Ahab and to tell him that it's going to rain. We find that uh, Elijah already at this point in his, in his life had experienced a supernatural provision of God. Where did he find that? Well, as soon as he told Ahab that there's not going to be any rain, God instructed him, I need you to go and hide yourself and I want you to stay in the brook Cherith. And there, I am going to provide water for you. That's an obvious one at a brook. But I'm also going to provide food by the mouth of ravens. And so God's provision was supernatural, and he experienced that. How about as God moved him to Zarephath as he was fed by a widow woman who was making her last cake for her and her son to eat, and then they were going to die. And God said to Elijah, hey, Elijah, I want you to ask for that cake. I want you to ask for that little bit of food from the widow, and I'm going to use that to perform a miracle how that the meal and the oil would not stay and they would have enough to get through this whole drought period. God used his supernatural provision there at Zarephath and he provided for him and for the widow and her son. How about Elijah already experiencing the supernatural power of God? When the widow woman's son had died, Elijah, through God's power, brought him back to life. Not only that, but then we find uh, the contest on, on Mount Carmel. When we think of Elijah, I think this is what we think about, that contest where Elijah calls fire down from heaven. That's one of the things I want to see when I go to heaven. And uh, if we can replay Bible scenes and, and different things that have happened in history, man, I want to see that. God, show me the contest on Mount Carmel. That would be amazing. And we see that and how God used Elijah and how we displayed his power and his provision and his prompting, but just like you and me, Elijah was human. And just like you and me, sometimes we forget. And it usually happens when we're going through the hard times. It usually happens when our faith is tested and tried, that we forget the goodness of God and the provision of God and how he's met our needs up until that point. So despite all that God had proved to him in the past, I would like to say that at this point, Elijah, he feared. What did he fear? Well, he feared Jezebel, and she was a scary woman, probably. Okay, Jezebel, he feared the adversary. Jezebel wanted to keep her name. She wanted to keep her title. She didn't want anybody uh, trampling over that. And so as the prophetess of Baal, she threatened Elijah that he is going to be dead just like all those prophets of Baal by tomorrow. He feared the adversary. He also feared being alone. We find that in his answer to God when God asked him, what doest thou here, Elijah? We find that he feared being, being alone. He thought that no one else was serving God and doing right. Not only did he fear, but he focused on himself. We find here that, that he's not concerned about everything else going on, he's, he's really focusing on his current situation. He's having his own form of a pity party, if you will. He compares himself to those who were before him in verse number four. He says, now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. 
God, the, the people that have come before me, I'm not better than they are. He's comparing himself, and he's saying, I'm not the success they were, so Lord, just take me off the scene. He convinces himself that he is the only one doing right. He says in verse 10, and I, even I, only am left. He also concerns himself with the prospect of an uncertain future. He takes that threat seriously from Jezebel, as he should, but uh, he didn't take God seriously at his word. In verse 10, he says, they seek my life to take it away. Along those same, same lines, I believe he was fooled by the wrong voices. What was Elijah doing listening to Jezebel? After all this time of listening to God's voice, God said, hey, show yourself to Ahab. God said, hey, go to the brook Cherith. Go to Zarephath. Go back to Ahab. Uh, go to Mount Carmel and call fire down from heaven. All this time, Elijah is listening to God's voice, but then after that huge success on Mount Carmel, we find that Elijah is now shifting his attention to the wrong voice, that threatening voice from Jezebel. He was fooled by the wrong voices. And so we come to the point, as God asked the first question, what doest thou hear, Elijah? He gets to the lesson demonstration time. He's going to teach Elijah a lesson. He's going to show Elijah, change his perspective, get him to understand exactly what's going on, and at the same time, draw him closer uh, to himself. And so it's lesson demonstration time. Could I ask, who told Elijah to run and hide himself after he confronted Ahab the first time? Who was it in verse uh, 3 of chapter 17? Well, it was God. God had instructed him to do that. Who told Elijah to run and hide himself after the contest on Mount Carmel? It wasn't God. At this time, it was Elijah making that decision for himself. So God uses Elijah's decision to run as a teaching point. As a matter of fact, could I just say that even though Elijah chose to run, even though Elijah chose to go in fear and hide himself, as a matter of fact, he went a day's journey, and then he went even further, 40 days and, and, and uh, went with the strength of that last meal there, all the way to Mount Horeb. And all that time, what was God doing? Oh, I'm, just, I'm not going to help this guy out. Man, he's running from me. And he's disobeying me. Man, after all that I did for him, I'm just going to leave him alone. That's not what God did. It's amazing that even in Elijah's uh, depression, even in, in Elijah's disappointment, you know what God was doing? He was loving him back to himself. As a matter of fact, not only that, but he was providing for him in that very moment. And we're going to get to the application, but could I say uh, this evening, I have no idea what you've gone through this week. I have no idea what family situations you have experienced this week. I have no idea maybe a, a job situation that you've had this week. But I can tell you that God is going to be uh, in that situation. He's going to meet you where your needs are. And even in the time where you have a lack of faith in him, He's going to try to take care of you. He's going to try to make sure that, that uh, you have the provision necessary so that you can come back to him. And so the lesson starts. It starts with the question, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he gives the demonstration. What, what do we find first? Look at verse 11. The Bible says, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before it. Now, I don't know about you, but hearing about a wind that can break through rocks, that's, that's a pretty strong wind. 
Uh, here in North Carolina, we have hurricanes every once in a while, and uh, some are more intense than others. Some are extreme false alarms, and we've already bought all the bread and the eggs and the milk at the store. But I tell you what, uh, some come and some go, and, and we can see just the magnitude, the strength that a storm can bring. And as God uh, passes by and he causes this wind to happen, this wind that is so strong that it's literally rending the mount uh, and, and crumbling the rock, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. We would call that an act of God, but yet the Bible says the Lord was not in the wind. In Illinois, we grew up not with hurricanes, but we grew up with tornadoes in the Midwest. And uh, we have mostly have basements in, uh, in the Midwest, and that's where we would go. If there's a threat of a tornado, we'd go right to the basement. But the wind and, and these acts of God, it's, it's incredible, acts of God. And then we find here, after the wind was an earthquake. Now, I've been to a place that has earthquakes often, and that's called California. California has some earthquakes every once in a while. And uh, I remember one specific time just being in, in my dorm room at college, and I, I remember hearing the shaking and, and seeing some item, items rattling on the shelf. And I thought, that's, that's odd. You know, that's a little strange. And come to find out, you pull out your phone, and oh, there was, there was an earthquake uh, not too far from here. And it was usually minor ones. At, uh, at my home in Orion, Illinois, we don't really have earthquakes. There, there have been some. But uh, usually when the things are rattling in our house in Orion, Illinois, it's just a train passing through the town. But uh, the earthquake happened. And then not only that, but after the earthquake, the Bible says that there was a fire. And in all of these things, the Lord was not in it. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in, in the fire. And uh, Brother Daniel uh, was, was telling us here at the church uh, and sharing how his family was, was going through uh, a forest fire situation in uh, his home there in, in Virginia. And uh, if you've ever been around a forest fire, that, that's it's a, a scary thing. It's an amazing uh, sight to see just uh, the power of fire and how quickly it can, can uh, consume something. It's also scary for my children to sit at the hibachi steakhouse and see that fire start on the hibachi grills. I mean, the magnitude is incredible. But these events can be pretty amazing and captivating. And you would say, wow, that, God is in that for sure. Wow, God is in that earthquake for sure. I mean, good night, that was impressive. Whoa, look at that fire. Can you feel the heat from the fire? Can you imagine on Mount Carmel as Elijah is calling fire down from heaven? Whoa! All that water that was around the altar, everything that, God, uh, th that Elijah did to prepare, and God caused that fire to fall and to consume all of that, fire, or all of that, that burnt offering there. It's, a, it's amazing. The magnitude. But God was teaching Elijah here a lesson. God was trying to help Elijah understand that though these things are pretty amazing, those, though these things are, are pretty magnificent, pretty awesome, yet God does not choose to speak to his children through those things. As a matter of fact, God doesn't lead through the wind. God doesn't lead through the earthquake. God doesn't lead through the fire, but yet he leads in a still small voice. Can you imagine could you imagine in the Christian life if everything and every way that God communicated to us to show us what's next in our life was through something like really big? 
I mean, all of a sudden you're, you're walking down the street and, and uh, God wants you to, uh, you know, move to a different town or whatever. And all of a sudden, uh, from miles away, you see this huge explosion and, and you think, wow, that's amazing. And, and you understand, oh, that's God telling me I need to go over there and that's where I need to move. Wow. There was an earthquake in, in California, I guess. Uh, where was that earthquake? Oh, God, that's where God wants me to go. Uh, wow, did you see that big bonfire? I mean, good night. That, that thing was massive. That must be God speaking to me. No, God speaks to us not in the magnificent things, the, the things that would just draw everybody's attention and say, wow, that's amazing. But God chooses to lead us with the still, small voice. God chooses to lead his children, not through the things that are grasping our attention, but yet he wants our attention by shutting all the distracting things out so that we can hear that still, small voice. Elijah needed to be reminded he doesn't always need to see fire falling from heaven to know that God is in control and that God is using him. Sometimes we go from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, and we think, God, that's how you move. God, that, that's how you, you get th- your will accomplished is through those Mount Carmels, and it has to be Mount Carmel every single time. And, and God, if you don't work through a Mount Carmel every single time, then I, I guess you're not working at all. And that's where we misunderstand the will of God as God is teaching Elijah here. Yes, there are those Mount Carmel experiences, but that was to get the children of Israel's attention. That wasn't to get you to believe that, that I am God. Elijah, you already know that I am God. And so my leading for you is not through the, the fire, not through the earthquake, not through the wind, but it's through my still, small voice. Where does God uh, choose to be? He chooses to be in a still, small voice. Where does God choose to dwell? As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 6.16, the Bible says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What a comfort it is to know that here as Christians in the, in, uh, the New Testament here, and we can take this truth, to know that when we accept Jesus Christ, he comes to dwell inside of us. And so when he's leading us, we don't have to think, okay, what's the next big sign? All we have to know is that that still small voice is going to lead us. That still small voice is going to show us what's next. That's how God chooses to dwell. Uh, He chooses to dwell in us. So the question is, where are we going to go when danger is present? And where do we turn when we have trouble? And what are we going to do when we're like Elijah and we face that big discouragement? Man, there's a threat for my life. How am I going to react to it? And the answer to that should be, we should choose to dwell with God. We shouldn't run from God. We shouldn't try to figure things out on our own and our own abilities, our own understanding. But yet Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So my question is, as Elijah here is literally dwelling in the cave at this moment, he's not dwelling in the Lord. He's running for his life. God comes to him and he's saying, Elijah, what doest thou here? Why do Christians stay in the cave? Why do we as Christians cower in fear 
and choose not to trust God in our uncertain situations. Well, why do Christians stay in the cave? I believe it's because just like Elijah did, we fear. We fear the oppressor. We fear the circumstances around us. We fear the outcome, the future. We forget what God has done in the past, but we have to realize that he's not failed us yet and he never will. We tend to focus on ourselves. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. You want to find satisfaction, you want to find fulfillment and joy. It's not found in serving yourself or uh, keeping the focus on you, but it's keeping the focus on him and looking for ways to please him and serve others. Why do people stay in the cave? Well, we're fooled by the wrong voices. How often do we turn on the news? Why do we turn on the news? <laughs> How often do we turn on, on the news and we listen to that voice? We listen to the discouragement and we think, man, there is no hope. We listen to what's going on in social media. Elijah learned that it wasn't the loud and the demanding occurrences or, or voices that God was in, but yet it was that still small voice. You've heard of the phrase, the wheel that squeaks, the loudest gets the grease. And a lot of times, that's what happens in our society. The person who's the loudest, the thing that's the most promoted is the thing that is just generally accepted as truth. But we have to understand today that the loudest voice isn't, uh, isn't the voice of truth, but yet uh, we have to ask ourselves, is God in that? Is God leading it? It's usually not the voices that we hear so readily that demand our attention, but it's waiting to listen to that still, small voice. So after this demonstration... God then gives um, some instruction, and I'm going to close with this tonight, and we'll be done. In verse 15 and 16, God responds to Elijah, and he says this, The Lord said unto him, Go return unto thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of... Uh, I'm not going to pronounce that one. Uh, shalt thou anoint to be prophet... In thy room. So, what is God telling um, Elijah here? Elijah, you're done. I'm sorry, you're done. There's no hope for you, Elijah. You've you've run from me. I've I've tried to show you through all this great example of the earthquake and the fire and the wind. And Elijah, you haven't changed your answer. Your response is still the same. And so, Elijah, you're done. I'm sorry. That's not how God responds. As a matter of fact, uh, God opens the demonstration with the question, uh, what doest thou hear, Elijah? He closes with that question, and then he gives the instructions. He says, you need to go. Leave the cave, Elijah. I'm not done using you. Not only that, but you need to get back on the way. He says there, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. How do we get back on the way? What do we do? when we've drifted from God, when we've chosen to go our own route? Well, what we do is we go back to where we got off the path. We got to go back to that point and say, all right, this is where I need to return. I'm going to continue back on the path that God has for me. A lot of times we, uh, we just have to go back to where we stopped. We have to start where we stopped. Elijah stopped listening to God's voice. And so what have you stopped doing? Have we stopped praying? Have we stopped reading our Bibles? Have we stopped church attendance, serving God? Have we stopped relying on Him? Go back to where you stopped and start again. And then get to work. God gave Elijah three things that he had to do right away. He had to anoint Haziel, 
to be king over Syria. He had to anoint Jehu to, to be the king over Israel and to anoint Elisha to be the prophet, the next prophet that was going to take his place. God was not done with Elijah. Even after he tended to for, forget what God had done for him in the past, he chose to be discouraged and to go his own way. But it's amazing how merciful and gracious God is as he brought Elijah through that 40-day journey to Mount Horeb. He teaches him an amazing lesson demonstration. And now Elijah is back on the path doing God's will for his life. I wonder tonight as we close, where are we at today? What path are we on? Where are we dwelling? Are we in the cave? And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we going to do from here? Are we going to listen to all the loud voices that are demanding our attention? Are we going to listen to the threats and, oh, the Bible doesn't work and Christianity, uh, Christianity is, is, is fake and, and uh, you can do whatever you want. You know, it can be your crutch, but it doesn't have to be mine. Whatever the world is telling you, what are we going to do? Are we going to listen to that or are we going to obey that still small voice? We're just going to be obedient to him in the work that God has laid out for each one of us. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.